You know, is the anointing some uh, special thing that that only very special people get uh, to experience, like like some Jedi magic trick or or the Harry Potter like powers? Do you have like the anointing is like a you know lightning bolt on your forehead? Uh, is it something that only special preachers have that we all pile in a car to go see? Um, is it is it at some college somewhere? Do they offer a degree in anointing? I've never seen that. Um, or, and does oil really have superpowers? You know, Dana's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> of course not. None of those things are true. There's no magic anointing. There's no magic oils. Um, Dana's like, you don't know that for sure. But The anointing oil we're going to study today is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, okay? Uh, It's very symbolic. And uh, the way that we can be filled with the very life and character of Jesus in our own soul. Let me say that again just so that we remember this is the lesson for today. The anointing oil we're going to study today is is symbolic of the Holy Spirit and the way that we can be filled with the very life and character of Jesus in our very soul. Um, we have uh, pets called sugar gliders. And here, come here, come up here, come here, please. Simon, Simon, my son is going to help me out with a, our a little illustration here. So, we have we have pets called sugar gliders, and they make little noises. And so this is this is sassy. Sassy McSmalls, and uh, they're, they're very sweet. They're very sweet. She just wanted to see everyone today. We, we keep them with us a lot. We, they like to be in our hoods and our pockets, and they like to, to run around, and they really love Zyman because he spends a lot of time with them. So thank you very much. So you guys can, you guys can walk over and see Zyman and ask to see the sugar glider after, after church or whenever you want. Um, and be careful, Nathan, they might attack you. No, they're like the most non-threatening things. In the- <laughs> but we have these sugar gliders, and, and they can smell if they eat certain foods. They can smell weird. Um, but we keep them on it. We control their diet in the right way so that um, they hardly smell at all. They actually... Uh, smell pleasant like they're just nice smelling but if you feed them like weird bugs and like stink i don't know what but they'll just stink they'll smell like ferrets and stuff and you don't want that because the smell it comes from inside you know their bodies and it emanates throughout their whole being and they're they're they have these scent glands that make them smell like kind of what they've eaten and today we're going to learn that the anointing of the holy spirit makes us smell like christ that's how this is going to work, okay? The anointing is very simple. Uh, so here's a, a penetrating question for you guys. Do you remind people of the love and grace of Jesus when you open your mouth? When you walk by someone, when you're involved in a conversation, do you remind, do you smell like, do you remind people of the love and grace of Jesus? If not, if that's not true 100% of the time, then now we see our need for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We need to be like him. You know, it's not some extra level that we get. It's not some 
um, only privileged Christians are to be anointed with the Holy Spirit. This is something you are to seek and receive daily for your walk. It is promised and offered to you. So with all that being said, let's go ahead and look at our text in Exodus chapter 30, and let's see what it says. Exodus chapter 30, verse 22. Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also take for yourself quality spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much sweet-smelling cinnamon, 200, that's 250 shekels if you're good at math, uh, 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane, and 500 shekels of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil, and you shall make from these a holy anointing oil, an ointment compound according to the art of the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it, you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting and the ark of the testimony, the table and all its utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the laver and its base, and you shall consecrate them, that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them must be holy, and you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them, that they may minister to me as priests, and you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, Uh, This shall be a holy anointing oil to me throughout your generations. It shall uh, not be poured on man's flesh, nor shall you make any other like it according to its composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds anything like it or whoever puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people." So that's our text today. We've been going through the tabernacle and learning about all the different parts of the tabernacle. And um, what, uh, what have we seen that every part of the tabernacle foreshadows? Jesus, right? Jesus. Every single part foreshadows Jesus. And, and this one is going to be no exception. It's going to also foreshadow Jesus, and we'll, we'll get there. But oil in the Bible is a type of what? Anybody know? Jesus points up for grabs. The Holy Spirit. Who said that? Boom, boom. All right. Jesus points for you guys. (laughs) Claim those Jesus points. You don't know. They, They expire. You never know. So oil in the Bible is commonly a picture, uh, exclusively a picture of the Holy Spirit. And today is no exception. uh, These instructions that God is giving Moses on how to make the holy anointing oil for the tabernacle and the priests is going to teach us about how the Holy Spirit is working in our day and age. The priests and the tabernacle were all supposed to smell the same. Okay? That's simple, right? And this smell was to be completely unique, a smell you would never smell anywhere else in the whole earth except in Israel, at the temple, or a tabernacle, and later in the temple, this smell would be completely unique. Everywhere else in the world, you would never be able to find it. And they would pour this oil all over all the things in the tabernacle and also the priests. So it's basically like a glorified beard oil that they would put on everything. I put beard oil on today just in preparation for today. (laughs) So let's look at the ingredients to this oil. 
and find out why it's so special and why these ingredients the Holy Spirit would include in the book of Exodus to teach us. What, what do these ingredients teach us? And I think that the Holy Spirit is actually going to teach us a few really cool things as we look at this. Um, again, the, the, the tabernacle represents and speaks of Jesus. The priests um, represent the work that Jesus does, but also what we get to partake of when we partner with Jesus to serve him in this world. So these four spices that we're going to see, they are going to point to the beautiful and sweet character of Jesus. They smell good. They're called sweet-smelling. And so each of these four spices are going to represent something about his character um, that, that, that we should know about Jesus. And so we're going we're gonna to look into these ingredients to see what the Holy Spirit might be showing us through their names and things like that. But I want to start in, in Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 3. And you guys know Song of Solomon is this book in, uh, in the Old Testament that's, that's like a love story between the Shulamite and, and the king, or the, right? And, and, the, and you can take it, you can interpret it a few ways. And one of the ways is that the, the king is Jesus, and the Shulamite is the church or us. And, it, and it, can, it can be interpreted as a relationship between Jesus and us. And when you look at it that way, there's all kind of amazing treasures in the, in the book of Song of Solomon uh, that, that can really speak to our hearts. But look how it starts, this book. In chapter 1, verse 3 in Song of Solomon, he says, Because the fragrance of your good ointments, your name is ointment poured forth. Therefore, the virgins love you. Your name is ointment poured forth. See, we're not just pulling this out of nowhere. The Holy Spirit and the ointment that we're, just, we're talking about today is going to describe the name or the character of Jesus. So let's take a look at the four ingredients. The first one is myrrh. Anyone heard of myrrh before? Yeah, of course, right? This is a commonly used fragrance in the Bible. We even have some in our house at home. Um, and its meaning is very clear as we look at Scripture. Meat myrrh was a sweet-smelling but bitter-tasting uh, spice. And so myrrh, I did some research on how myrrh was made. Myrrh is a resin that was bled out of a tree when it was wounded, and then the resin hardens, and then they crush the resin, and the crushing of it produces the sweet smell of myrrh. And this obviously points us into the direction of the beautiful love of Jesus, doesn't it? Um, his love cost, caused him to taste the bitterness of death, but what it produces for us is the sweetness of his love. So right there, this first ingredient uh, is speaking about the beautiful love of Jesus. Um, and we know that, that this was one of the three gifts that was offered uh, when Jesus was born, right? So the beginning of his life, they, those wise men brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh to foreshadow that he would be crushed, but that that crushing would be a sweet aroma to God and for us. God is pleased by the crushing of his son so that because he, he wanted his will was to save us. God's will was to save us. But so the beginning of his life was myrrh, 
Myrrh was there. Now look at the end of his life in John chapter 19, verse 39. Nicodemus, who first came to Jesus by night, but after Jesus had died, he came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. So not only at his birth do we see myrrh foreshadowing, but at his death we see myrrh representing what this, what this, what what he was, what he was doing, his love. And then back in Song of Solomon, it says, "A bundle of myrrh is my beloved to me." A bundle of myrrh. His beautiful love is something that I feast on. It's something that that is is a gift to me. It's something that is wonderful. Our Savior's sacrificial love is represented by myrrh. What a character trait to start with as an ingredient for the anointing oil. So let's go back to our original premise. What does it mean to be anointed? Do you smell like the sacrificial love of Christ? Is that what comes forth out of your life? As you're walking through your life and as you're having conversations, is that the first ingredient that you see in your life? And I'm not here to take from you. I'm here to serve you. How much would you serve me? If I'm a jerk to you, would you serve me? Well, yeah, you could crucify me, and I would still love you and serve you. That's what the church is to be. That's our calling. That's our life if we're anointed with the Holy Spirit, right? So I need to know this love more than I do. I need to be anointed with his spirit so that I can smell like him. Because I don't know this love as much as I could, right? Who's with me? All right. Paul prayed that we could know the love of Jesus. In the book of Ephesians, he said he wanted us to know the love of God that passes understanding. And those words are so weird because he's like, I want you to understand something that can't be understood, is what he's saying. And that's what he's saying. The love of Christ cannot be understood but you can breathe it in. You can smell it. You can sense it. You can feel it. And, and then you will have it emanate your life as well. Um, then Paul takes us and he shows us what the experience of knowing his love looks like. In Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So, wow, you know, we could get up here and we could say, you should all live crucified lives where you should be doing more for Jesus and you should be giving more to Jesus. And we could stand up here and that's, that's those true statements. But what created that life in Paul, what created that experience for him was this, this last part, who loved me and gave himself for me, Paul actually spent time meditating on how much Jesus had done for him. And that caused him to desire to to lay down his life for Jesus. And it caused him to lay down his life for others, loving in loving service of others. But it's you don't get that by just saying, This is what I need to do, and freaking out about all the stuff you need to be and become and change that doesn't work that way. Being a Christian isn't about that. It's what did Jesus do for me? He loved me and gave himself for me. That's the first ingredient of this um, anointing oil.
So myrrh, just to review, speaks of the wonderful sacrificial love of Jesus. You guys got it memorized? What does myrrh speak of? There you go. Pop quiz, hot shot. All right. Number two, cinnamon. All right, Christmas time, right? He says the second ingredient is sweet smelling cinnamon. And so you dig into this and you find out the word cinnamon is from the Hebrew word, which is a verb that means to build, to build. And what we're going to see very simply is Jesus is on a mission to build his church and the building nature of Jesus. What was the profession of Jesus when he uh, came to earth? He was a carpenter, which was basically he was a construction worker, right? He built things. And it's really amazing because that's exactly his personality. In fact, his heart, his smell could best be described first as sacrificial love and second as he is building up. He loves to build. And you're like, how does that be a smell? Well, his heart is always to build us up. And it's not just build the number of people in the church, but each part of the church he wants to build up and transform into a perfect piece of his own body. When Jesus says, I'm going to build my church, and then he says his church is his body, he's, he's, it's his workout program. <laughs> he, he just... He's working on us. He's transforming us because he cares so much about us and we are part of his own body. Jesus, again, is a builder at heart. Um, And he was a carpenter during his time on earth, but spiritually he's building us into his perfect bride. And this is something the word we call sanctification, where Jesus' heart is to transform us into his image, into what he desires to see us to be, a place that he can live in like a house, like he would build his own house. He's like, I want to build my house that I live in. Whatever metaphor you want to use, Jesus said, I will build my church. How does he do this? Jesus builds us up by his grace. That's how he transforms us. We talk about that every week, but just in case you've missed it, a thousand weeks before, it's his grace that transforms us. Acts chapter 20, verse 32 is an amazing verse because Paul has just planted this church and now he's leaving a church and he says, you guys know everything you need to know and then I'm going to give you one last thing that is all you have to think about. And what does he say? He says, so now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. Grace is God's power or tool or power tool to build you up, to transform you, to change you, to sanctify you. Cinnamon reminds us of this truth, just the word cinnamon. Jesus is at, is at work to build his people. So when someone comes into the temple, and they smell the anointing oil, and they smell the cinnamon, it's supposed to be reminding them that God is working on them. God is for you, and God is not going to give up on you just because you failed a few times and just because you haven't measured up to his standard. He's going to anoint you with his Holy Spirit, which will do the work of transforming you. Sound important, right? It works pretty well. Let's look at number three, the third one. 
First one, sacrificial love. Second one, God's building us up. The third one is called sweet-smelling cane, or the word uh, in some of your Bibles might read calamus, or in some of your Bibles it might uh, read reeds, R-E-E-D-S. And, and so this was a plant that was those reeds that, that grow kind of by in the swamps that are really tall and long and, and uh, skinny there. And this comes from the Hebrew word that means to stand straight, to stand straight up. And what interpretation do we draw from that? What kind of lesson can we draw from that? Well, Jesus stood for all that honored God. He stood up straight. His life was perfect in that way. He lived a perfect life as straight as a, as a reed, you could say. Uh, the Ten Commandments didn't... Sorry, Sassy. Am I interrupting you? They sometimes make that sound. <laughs> so... Uh, Jesus, the Ten Commandments didn't condemn Jesus. The Ten Commandments actually testified that Jesus was perfect. So for all of us, we look at the Ten Commandments and we're condemned because we fail in every single one of them. That's their job is to condemn us. Jesus, when the Ten Commandments shine on him, it shows his perfection. It shows that what he really was like. And that is so amazing. He stood straight. He stood uh, in the right way. His life was perfect obedience that pleased God. And God says it's like a sweet smell to him. God loves the performance of Jesus. And this is why it's so offensive to God when we come to God and say, I have tried hard to please you. And God says, I don't care how hard you've tried because you don't impress me. There's one person in this world who has ever impressed God, and that was Jesus. And we know God twice ripped open heaven to say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, which means I'm, I'm so happy with him in the life. And God did many other things to show that he approved of this life that Jesus lived. And then the gospel says, you get that life that Jesus lived credited to you. You get it. Your grade doesn't get graded. His grade gets attributed to your account. Your life doesn't get judged. His life gets given to you. Your terrible life gets thrown on him, and he's judged for you. And this is what the gospel says. So why do we walk around feeling like we don't measure up to God. We're not believing the gospel. And that doesn't mean we walk around in pride saying, oh, I'm doing everything right. No, we walk, that gives us more humility where we say, I need this life of Christ that's been given to me in the gospel. I need it more and more and more every moment of the day. I need to believe what Jesus has done for me. Calamus, or the sweet-smelling cane, or the reed that we're studying here, reminds us that the righteous life of Jesus was never marred by sin. It was perfect. He walked and, and lived. Even though he walked and lived in, among sinners like us, he never did anything wrong. So the anointing oil is starting to take form in our minds. It's, it's about the, the sacrificial love of Christ. It's about his, uh, what was the second one? The cinnamon which was, which was the 
building up. He wants to, he's for us. And then now we see his perfection is part of this, that we're going to get there. We're, he's going to eventually give us all the perfection that, that we need, and he gives it to us daily. And number four, we get to the fourth ingredient, which is called cassia. And cassia was a, a, a spice. It's, it's technically called a rolled spice, and that just means it, it comes from this verb that means to bow down. And that teaches us about worship, to bow down as in worship. And Jesus worshiped God perfectly. His whole life was to worship God. Last night we uh, asked the youth, the, um, Isaac, our youth guy, he's asking, he asked the youth, he said, what is it, what's something you can do to worship God? And they said, sing, right? And then he said, yes, but what else? And then they came up with all kinds of other things of how they could worship God. And, and basically they came up with some really good things that were all like how you live your life can worship God. And that's exactly what this spice of cassia tells us, is that Jesus, everything he did brought honor and praise to the Father. Everything he did. He never sought his own glory, but instead he trusted in the Father's time and the Father's plan. Don't we see that over and over in Jesus' life? Even when the will of God led Jesus out into the desert, did Jesus distrust him? Or did Jesus turn to something else? Did Jesus, did Jesus express his need for something else? No. Jesus was satisfied in God. Jesus was excited about God, even when God's will led Jesus into not only uncomfortable, but downright deadly environments. So that was in the desert. And then the will of God led him to the cross. And Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done, which is the greatest act of worship that has ever been done in the history of the world. So if you want to say, what would Jesus do? He would worship the Father and submit and surrender to the Father's will. Wow, crazy. Even when God led Jesus to death, Jesus worshiped the Lord. And that's the fourth part of this oil, a worship a worshipful heart and, and spirit. What a wonderful and glorious addition to the character of Jesus that we see in these spices. He could, he, he could have been so prideful, but he pointed all praise and honor to God the Father instead, showing us what real humility looks like as he walked throughout this world. God is seeking those, Jesus said, who will worship him in spirit and truth. God desires this character trait to be in you. That's what that says. But um, that's why he made you, was to worship him. So I, I ask a question. Man, it would be awesome if we had access to these wonderful ingredients. If the ingredients described here really could be said of us and could be given to us. These four spices were mixed into the oil of anointing, okay? That's how they... They mixed it all up there, and the oil carried these four spices, these four fragrances all together, and it mixed them all together so that one wasn't stronger than another, but all four were equal. And again, what does the oil represent? The Holy Spirit, okay? And so the oil brought all these spices together, 
all these beautiful character traits of Jesus and united them all so that the fragrance could be diffused wherever the oil went. Because to find each one of these spices was a difficult job. They had to go like some, sometimes as far away as like India to get the, the, the reed thing. And they had to go like to Africa to get another one. And, and all over the world, they had to find traders and all this stuff, and it was really difficult. So once they compiled them, they would mix them in this oil, which would preserve it, and it would be able to then be distributed to wherever they poured the oil. Well, look at Acts chapter 10, verse 38. It says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, and God was with him. Jesus, it says, was anointed with this spirit. Jesus himself was empowered in his life and his ministry. He didn't just pull the God card every time he healed someone and said, I'm God. Read it and weep, you know. I can do whatever I want. Jesus waited 30 years before he did anything in ministry. Why would he wait so long? Because he waited for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He didn't want to step out in front of God and say, I got this. He waited until God anointed him, until he had confirmation that his character was exactly what God wanted to see. He waited. And then he told his disciples, you need to go to Jerusalem and preach to everybody. No, he didn't say that, did he? In the book of Acts, at the very beginning, he said, you need to go to Jerusalem and wait. For what? For the Holy Spirit to anoint you. So how do I become a better Christian? How do I become the Christian that God wants me to be, the the one that's just powerfully anointed? Well, it has a lot to do with waiting and trusting. And we'll see more about that in a little bit. Our text back in Exodus says that the reason for this anointing oil was that they should anoint the sons of Aaron. And we've seen that this represents you and me, partners in ministry, people who have been invited to serve alongside God. And he says they should be anointed. Isn't that crazy? Jesus is so gracious that he gives his own anointing to those that serve him. Aaron was a picture of Jesus. The sons of Aaron are us. Jesus waited to be anointed, and he was anointed and empowered, and so can we be. It goes the same way. We are invited to be anointed with his, this wonderful oil that carries his character, that's empowered to, to do his work. It's part of the deal. He doesn't want any other agenda except his own glory. In other words, he doesn't want the tabernacle smelling like you. He wants the tabernacle smelling like him. This is his house. We are his body. We get his B.O. That was a graphic image. (laughs) He doesn't want any other agenda except his own glory. He doesn't want any other source except his own life. You know what what they call it when something in your body starts growing by another source or with another plan? They call it cancer. 
And he does, why does his body need that? He doesn't. The way a body works is one life source, one source comes. It, the DNA of our body knows how to, how to work. And it's the same with the body of Christ. His life is to be the thing that causes growth and that, that produces life in our life. He doesn't want any other source. He must arrange things so that only God gets the glory. Last week, we studied the laver. Remember the laver? Big bronze or, uh, bowl that we would wash in. And, and the main lesson from last week was that this laver, that God gave us a tool to wash us clean like the, the antivirus software. It showed us our problems, and, and it's kind of the negative side of our life. These are the things that shouldn't be in your life. Okay, and then he took care of them. This week, when we study the oil, the anointing oil, it's, it's providing the positive things that are necessary for you to be useful in serving God. So the priests were to be cleaned and then anointed with this oil. And the oil provided the right smell for their life, the right fragrance so that God would be glorified. Because it doesn't matter if you get all your dirt cleaned if you still smell like you. We have to smell like him. We have to have his life. So anointing us with oil sounds good. It's important, right? We're getting that. So how does it work? And we're going to see that this is just simply a work of grace. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 is where we'll start at. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The anointing is available to us today. It's required if any of you want to serve God, you must smell like him. You have to be cleansed. We know about that. Our sins have to be forgiven. We know about that. But this anointing provides the positive character traits that need to be seen in our lives. Our lives must demonstrate the sacrificial love of Christ. Our lives must demonstrate a knowledge and ability to build up his body by grace and sanctification. We have to be able to stand up. We stand up straight in lives that honor God. And the fourth one was, I always forget it, we bow down our lives, worship the Lord. Those are character traits that need to be seen in our lives, and they don't just appear out of nowhere. They're, they're carried to us in the oil of the Holy Spirit. Look at 2 Corinthians 2.14. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one were the aroma of death leading to death. To the other, the aroma of life leading to life. And this is so important, this last. Who is sufficient for these things, Paul says. So he says, our ministry is a lot less planning and a lot more smelling. That's how it works. He says, if someone's unsaved, you walk into a room and they're just disgusted by you. They're like, that smells of death. Because it, you, as being a believer who has sacrificial love and worships God, you are simply reminding them that they are going to hell. That's what it says. And that's not a comfortable reminder for anybody. Okay, so that's, that's one way that the aroma of our life works. The other way is it says we are the aroma of those who are life leading to life. Those who are saved, when we walk into a room and we smell like Christ, we have his character traits, it's like, ah, oh, you're so awesome. I love that smell. 
And that's what we get in here right now, is I look around this room and so many of us believe in Christ and his character has been anointed on you and you're just, it's, it's a pleasure to walk into your presence and to see you. And then there have been some people who walk in and I don't get that experience. I'm like, you're a big jerk sometimes. You don't smell like Jesus. It has nothing to do with what my nose, it's my heart that's smelling their character. Jesus is saying, who, Paul says, who is sufficient for these things? Can you change the way you smell? Can you cover up your spiritual B.O.? They don't make spirit deodorant. Anti-jerk smell. That would be a great product. Who's an inventor? Just kidding. They can't, you can't even invent something to make someone not a jerk. <laughs> Who is sufficient for these things? What a great question, because it, it highlights that none of us can change the way that we smell. We cannot do that. But look what he says. He answers the question just a couple verses down. Look down at chapter 3, verse 5. Paul just answers the question for us. He doesn't leave us wondering. He says, not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. What gives life? The Spirit. The oil? The oil. It gives us the life of Jesus. You are not sufficient to be like Jesus. And, and, and that is hard to accept, especially for people who grow up in church and, and grow up in the Ten Commandments is all they think about. And they have to try hard. And if they're not trying hard, they're not measuring up to God's standards. And that's the message that we get through our whole life. And it's just pounded into us. What are you doing for God? What are you doing not for God? You're just all about you and what you do. But we are not sufficient to be like Christ. You cannot earn his character traits. And you can't imitate his character traits. You can't smell like him. You can't win this war or take credit for his victory. But God has made you sufficient by anointing you. God put the victorious life that he is pleased with, that life of Jesus, and he has put it in you. It's this life that he wants to see in you that we all agree is good. We should all keep the Ten Commandments, but how? It has to be the life of Jesus poured into us or the oil of the Holy Spirit anointing us. The life of Christ is included in this anointing. It is the anointing his very life offered and placed upon us and in us. Amen. So let's go back to our text in Exodus. It says, it shall not be point, uh, poured on man's flesh, nor shall you make any other like it according to its composition. It is holy and it shall be holy to you. Whatever compounds, whoever compounds anything like it or puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. So God gives us a warning with anointing. 
And his warning here is it shall not be poured on flesh. And what does that make us think of? The gifts of God's grace are never earned or even connected with flesh. So anyone comes to you and says, you know how you get the anointing? You come to my church. You pray this prayer. You do this thing, and you get the anointing. They, according to the scripture, are in big trouble. (laughs) It is not connected with flesh. Nothing you do can ever earn God's anointing. Nothing you do can ever earn God's anointing. I'll say it again. Nothing you ever do could ever earn God's anointing. Flesh cannot figure out a way to become like Jesus. That's what he's saying here. It must be given by the anointer, Jesus himself, through the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read three verses to you just to emphasize and hit you with a hammer in the face of the Holy Spirit. John 6.63 says, It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Wow. Wow. The Spirit gives life, the flesh profits nothing. But I really want to serve God. I really want to go into his tabernacle and serve the Lord. I want to worship him. I want to pray. I want my life to matter What can I do to make that happen? Nothing. And the more you try, the less you'll smell like Christ. So what do I do then? Jesus says, hear my words and believe them. I offer you this life as a free gift. Do you want it? Do you want it? All of us say, yeah, I want it, I want it, I want it but I still want to do everything I want to do. Then maybe you don't really want it yet. And God, in his love, will actually be patient with you until you're ready to surrender. Until you're ready to say, okay, I'm done with my life the way I live my life, and I'm ready to surrender to your will, and so now I need your life. Isn't that different than saying, Yeah, give it to me or whatever. I don't care. Just what being a Christian is, fine, whatever. I guess I'll just do what you say. That's not the heart God's looking for. God's looking for the one who says, I've tried it my way. I'm done. I need a different life. Give me yours. If it's offered, I want it. If it's offered, give it to me. Isn't that cool? Galatians 5, 6 says, For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working in love. What does circumcision and uncircumcision have to do with? Laws. Rules. That have nothing to do with me anymore because I'm not even Jewish. And, but people who kept these rules were really big on these rules. And they thought that if you kept this rule then you deserved God's favor. You deserved it. You earned it. You were on his team by circumcision. And if you were uncircumcised, there's nothing you could do to change your your 
state in life, your, your place in life. The exact opposite of what the gospel says. The gospel says, in Christ Jesus, circumcision or uncircumcision don't matter, but faith working through love. Us trusting in the love of God and his free offer of his life through the Holy Spirit that he would actually love us so much that he would give us his life. That's what matters, Jesus says. And then Galatians 6.15, For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avail anything. Does that sound familiar? Wow. But a new creation, that's what really matters. A new creation. This oil was basically like making a new creation. It was taking something like this and it was changing it with new character traits and new emanating smell. It changed the very thing into something that glorified God. And that's what happens with us. A new creation of the Spirit, which is oil. And that new creation is the only way to produce the real fruits of the Spirit and the aroma of Christ. His character traits included in this new life that he offers. We could never imitate. Did you see all the warnings in there against imitating this and making your own version of it? And I don't like the way that smells. I want to make my own holy anointing oil. It doesn't work. We can never imitate the real work of the Holy Spirit. Let me show you how this works. Head knowledge or heart knowledge. You can say, I know God. I can know theology. I know what's good. I know what the fruits of the Spirit are. And so I I know that. But do do they emanate from our heart? Do they come out of our heart? Ritualism. Nice music, energy, and excitement. All of these things are simply human substitutes for the real true ministry of the Holy Spirit and Jesus. And But what do we spend all our time on? Getting to know Jesus or trying to achieve some sort of energetic, passionate state? God is not asking you to be some crazy, Jesus-freak, Bible-thumping, intense person. He's asking you to know him. And that's very different. There's two very different things. Instead of head knowledge, it's heart knowledge. Instead of ritualism, it's devotion. I don't go to church because it's my ritual. I go to church because I'm devoted to my Savior, and I love him. And I wouldn't miss it for the world because I love, I, I love him. I'm not saying missing church is a sin. I'm not going there. But it's not ritualism. Ritualism is what I'm talking against. Okay? Instead of nice worship, nice music, it's worshipful lives. That's the difference. Instead of having just trying to produce energy and people being excited about God, it's tireless love that, that loves people who are difficult and loves in difficult circumstances. Instead of just excitement, just like, oh, it's so exciting to be here, touchdown for Jesus. It's awe and fear of the Lord and joy in the Lord all 
connected with our relationship with Jesus. Acts 5 puts this all together, okay? You guys remember the story of Acts 5. You remember Ananias and Sapphira? They saw, they were part of the early church, like this crazy on-fire church that was doing like everything awesome, okay? And they wanted to be part of those, that church. They wanted to be the fruitful disciples that they saw, but God cut them off. Do you remember the story? So they, they, were, they wanted to, to, to be included. Like all these people were giving up, like their whole, they were selling land and giving the money to the church and laying it and just in worship saying, I, I, don't, I have too much. I want to give to the Lord. I want to trust the Lord. I want the Lord to provide for me. I want to give, give, give. And Ananias and Sapphira said, well, maybe we should give too, but so they sold a piece of land and they only brought part of the pro- part of the profits, but they said they brought them all. So they wanted to appear like they were awesome Christians. But it didn't matter how much they gave. God didn't care how much they gave. This was supposed to be a free will thing. The, the wrong thing is, is they wanted to appear to everyone to be the real deal. They wanted to have the, the glory that they saw in everybody else's lives. They wanted it. But they thought you could fake it with God. They thought they could make their own formula. God must be interested in my gifts and my external behaviors, so let me offer some of those and it should be good enough, right? And that is not the issue. God cut them off. And if you smell bad, you just smell bad to God. That's how it works. And God, Ananias, dropped dead. His wife, Sapphira, came in, and she dropped dead. And they, the church was like, Meh. You, should, you should know better than to try to fake it with God. Crazy, huh? All right, I'm going to read a poem to you. It's been a while since I've done this. They say that once a piece of common clay, such fragrance breeds as from a garden blows. My secret is but this, they heard it say, I have been near the rose. And those there are who bear along with them the power with thoughts of Christ men's heart to stir. For having knelt to kiss his garment's hem, their garments now smell of myrrh. So grant, I pray thee, Lord, that by thy grace, the fragrance of thy life may dwell in me, that as I move about from place to place, men's thoughts may turn to thee. Do you have the anointing? You got to answer that for yourself. That phrase can be so misunderstood and misused, but I hope that today we have clarified it you know, once and for all in our lives. Do you have the anointing? Do you have the character of Jesus poured all over your life? Does your life smell like Christ? If you want it, you may have it. That's the offer of the gospel. That's what grace is. You may have it. That's what grace does. God offers his Holy Spirit to us for free. It's a gift. And there is nothing you may do to earn it. 
nothing you can do to earn it, but there's nothing you may do to earn it. You can't do anything. There is nothing we must do to earn this anointing. It's always free. It's always available. So I should be asked, hearing the question, just emanating, well, then how do I get the anointing? How do I get it? Ask. It's very simple. Is it hard to ask? It it shouldn't be. It's really not. Only if you're prideful and you hate asking for things, That's the only thing that's going to stand in the way here. Number one, if you don't believe that God has really loved you, then you're not going to ask him for this love. And then if you don't, if you have so much pride that you don't want to ask God, then you're not going to ask either. In Luke chapter 11, verse 9, Jesus is telling us about this exact thing. He's saying, if you want the Holy Spirit, I'm going to tell you all about it, okay? He says this, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. And then he gives some illustrations to prove his point. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. This is not intended to be a big mystery. And the the example he gives is stupid human fathers who don't give when their son asks for something like, Father, please give me some morsel. (laughs) No dad says, get out of here. There's a rock in your face, you know. It just doesn't. He says, if you've seen this kind of love just in stupid men, imagine how much more your heavenly Father, who is love, who is the embodiment of all love, how much more he will answer you with yes and amen when you ask him. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We only need what we only ask when we feel our need. And we only feel our need when we see the perfections of Jesus and how far we fall short, don't we? So when we look at the law, we see Jesus. We see how wonderful he is. He keeps the law. And we look at ourselves and we realize we can't keep the law at all. We suck in every single way. We are terrible at it. And then we have this need built inside where we're just, oh my gosh, now I can... I can see that I need you, Jesus. And I don't just need your grace to forgive me. I need your grace to transform me. I need your spirit. I need your life to come into me and fill me with who you are. And God's response to this ask is always the same. It is yes and amen. No matter who it is who would ask, his response is always yes and amen. So, brothers and sisters, We are all exhorted today to engage with our Heavenly Father in a question and simply to ask, who has a desire to be like Christ? Who would humble themselves to simply ask God in faith for the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit to transform their life today? I think as a family, we want to do that together, don't we? 
Ephesians chapter 5, 17 says, Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine in which is waste, but be filled with the Spirit. That's God's will for us. But I have plans, and if I'm filled with God's Spirit, I won't be able to do the thing I want to do. Really? Really? That's what we're going to say? We don't want his life because we're too busy on our own lives? Wow. I think that's sometimes where I'm at. I'm sometimes so prideful that I don't even care about getting his life. Our Father is so good that he offers us this life even when we've rejected and neglected it for days and weeks and months and years upon end. Even though we've known him and we've been born again, we're like, eh, the life of Jesus, who needs that? I'm good, I'm fine, my life is great. But there's this emptiness that just eats inside us, huh? And it's more than we can stand and, and it, God knows how to get to us because he makes something just prick our hearts with such pain that we realize we need him. We need his life. And I just pray that we would choose every day to surrender to him. You guys with me in that? Okay, then let's all stand up. We're going to sing in surrender to the Lord. I don't think it can be overstated how willing God is to give you the Holy Spirit right now. And there will not be flashing lights and thunder and tongues of fire coming down to... to, It's not going to be like that. But if we sense that we need the character of Jesus in our lives, God is saying, ask me for it, and the answer will be yes and amen. That's what the Bible says. God's answer will always be yes and amen. And that's a really cool phrase because yes means yes. And amen means so be it or it is done. You don't have to even bow your head. You don't have to say in Jesus' name like magic words. Once your heart says, Father, give me the Holy Spirit, it is offered to you and it is given to you and it is done. He he has given it to you. And you now can rejoice that the the Spirit of God dwells in you and, and you can live his life through yours every day. Amen? Okay, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for what your word said to us today and the the teaching of the holy anointing oil. And Father, um, whatever we have, have seen in the scriptures today, we know that the point is your life is offered to us. And it's required for us to serve you. And so, Lord, we want to be a church that serves you and knows you and glorifies you, praises you, and prays and that our prayers are answered. And so to be this church, we need your life and we need your spirit. And so collectively as a, as a group, we ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Not because we earn it or we're better or worse than any other group of believers, but 
Father, simply because you, you ask us to ask you. You exhort us to put our faith and trust in you and, and to truly engage and ask you. So, Father, we ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit.